Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather as your children to worship you, to encourage one another, to lift our voices to you in praise, and to hear your holy scriptures read and taught, and for us to also be able to pray together. And Lord, we just pray that you would use all of these elements to strengthen us and edify us and sanctify us um, according to your truth. And I pray that now as we look to your word, that by your spirit, you would um, you would work in our hearts, Lord, and that um, by your spirit, there would be welling up in us a, a deep delight in who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his precious name. Amen. So we, uh, we began the season of Advent uh, three weeks ago, and We've looked at um, hope, peace, and love up until this point, and today we're now looking at the theme of joy. Now, it wouldn't be a stretch to say that Christianity is a religion of joy. No religion um, has ever produced, for example, the, the amount of songs of worship that Christianity has produced. There is a continual writing and singing of songs, praises to God within Christianity. Hundreds and thousands of worship songs. Charles Wesley alone is said to have written over 10,000 um, hymns. So then you think about the rest of all the hymns that have ever been written throughout church history. There's an incredible emphasis on rejoicing, singing within our faith that you just really don't see in other religions. Why do you think it's so prevalent in our faith? Any thoughts? It being joy or singing? Just singing, worship, praise, yeah, joy, rejoicing in God. Well, we're commanded to sing, for one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts? You fully grasp the, the immensity of the love that God has given us. You can just keep quiet. You have to rejoice. Mm. Exclaim something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wrote here, um, the reason why I think it's so prevalent in our faith is one, of course it's commanded, but the other thing to think about is that Christianity is fundamentally a religion of response. Our faith is primarily a response to what God has accomplished in our redemption. And one of the only proper responses to what God has done is that of rejoicing and singing our praises to the God who has saved us. In other words, the natural response to experiencing salvation is praise, joy, exaltation. See, what happens if someone gets out of their, uh, goes out of their way to give you a gift that you didn't earn or work for, and it's a gift that you deeply cherish? Will you naturally respond with thanksgiving and joy, and not just toward the gift, but also toward the giver as well? And this is why I call Christianity a religion of joy. And Advent itself is a reminder to us of the centrality that joy has in our faith. Now, there are four truths that I want us to briefly look at in relation to joy and this season of Advent. And the first is this. Advent reminds us that God desires to increase our joy. So in Luke 2, which, uh, which Josh just read for us, um, the encounter with the angels and the shepherds, we read this, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then he tells us what that news is, the content of that news that is meant to bring us great joy. What is it? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So I bring you great news of great joy. This is, this is meant to increase your joy. Here's the news. A Savior has been born. His name is Christ the Lord. Not only that, in, in John 15, 10 to 11, um, Jesus, of course, in the context is speaking about abiding in his love. And he says this to his disciples. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy, incredible, Christ's joy may be in you and that your joy may, may be full. That is perfect, complete. See, there are commands all over the scriptures that exhort us to rejoice in God, to, to be glad in God, to be happy in God, to delight in God. And, and many people have interpreted this as God being an egomaniac, someone who's needy and craving praise and attention. Now, this would be true if God wasn't sufficient within himself. But God is not a being who needs our praise. Rather, we are beings who need to praise. God doesn't need our admiration. We need to give admiration. Anne Rand, who was an atheist, she said these words, The rarest of all pleasures is admiration. The rarest of all pleasures is admiration. Not admiration of self, but rather admiration of the beloved. See, is it possible that the reason God commands us to worship him, praise him, rejoice in him, find our delight in him, is because he's actually seeking our joy? See, if admiration is the rarest of all pleasures, then to admire that which is the most admirable would bring us the deepest levels of joy. And God is that which is the most admirable. C.S. Lewis captures this in a, his a book on the Psalms. And of course, C.S. Lewis had a very hard time with the idea of God commanding praise. But when he came to faith, he started to wrestle through it. And he, and he came to this conclusion that, that we naturally as humans praise what we treasure. And so he said this, my whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight or the joy is incomplete till it is expressed. 
It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of, a, of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. You see, Advent is God's reminder to us that he's in the business of seeing us glad. He's committed to pursuing our joy. Secondly, Advent reminds us that our mourning, our sorrow, is time-stamped. There's an end time on our mourning and our sorrow. One of the things I love about God's word um, is that it's raw and it's real. It's not up in the clouds. It, it captures and portrays the human experience to its fullest sense. It doesn't shy away from human suffering, pain, sorrow, mourning, grief, anguish. It doesn't shy away from any of those realities. Some of the godliest individuals in the Bible expressed horrifying sorrow over the devastations and sufferings they saw and experienced. And the beautiful thing is that God allows for his people to express such mourning and sorrow. It's not as though when you're in the deepest experiences of suffering that God says to you, you know what, you should just, you should just get your act together and be happy. God doesn't do that. God allows his children to express to him their sorrows. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 tells us that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance. This is partly why we have the Psalms themselves. The Psalms are full of anguish, sorrow, grief. Yet in that grief, there's usually always a glimmer of hope that resounds into praise and rejoicing in God. For God has promised that sorrow, pain, grief will encounter the grave. <clears throat> Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, specifically verse 10. But the context of Isaiah 35 is there's this incredible prophetic picture of the ransomed of God returning from exile. And so, of course, the immediate context is Israel, but we know in this passage, it's also pointing forward to Christ himself at his first coming, but also his second coming. So, for example, I'm not going to read all of Isaiah 35 for time, but you look down in verse 5, it says, Then the eyes of the blind, this is about God coming, and he says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What does that remind you of? Jesus' ministry, right? When he first came, right? Then you jump over and you look at verse 8. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. That's an encouraging verse for us. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And then look at this description of what he 
captures for God's people. This is, this is our end. This is, this is our telos, the goal. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Sion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a beautiful picture. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Sorrow and sighing are temporary. Joy, on the other hand, is everlasting. One day, we will forever rest in the happiness of God, the eternal happiness of God, which leads to my third point. Advent reminds us that we ought to actively pursue, actively pursue our joy in the God of our salvation. God pursues our joy, point one. God has promised to give us everlasting joy by putting an end to our sorrow and grief, but we also have a responsibility to actively pursue our joy in God and in his salvation. Psalm 51, which we are all familiar with, it's David's uh, song of repentance and confession over his egregious sin, right? Uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba, possibly rape, and then also having her husband Uriah murdered. And in Psalm 51, we see David's heart being exposed. He is confessing his sin to God. And in verse 12, one of the requests David makes is in regards to joy. And he says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In other words, when David sinned, he had lost his joy in the salvation of God. The reason why David sinned was because he lost his joy in his salvation. David lost his joy in the salvation of God, which led him down a sinful path. And here we see David actively pursuing joy in God. God, restore to me that which I lost. You see, your greatest weapon against the powers of temptation isn't duty, but joy in the God of your salvation. And therefore, we have a responsibility to pursue joy in God and all that he has done for us in Christ. See, Advent is a reminder to us of the blissful salvation we've been given in Jesus, and therefore we ought to actively engage our hearts to rejoice and delight and be glad in this incredible salvation that we have in Jesus. Uh, the, the book of Habakkuk, probably my, probably my favorite minor prophet, um, if you've read the book of Habakkuk, it's a, it's a dialogue between Habakkuk the prophet and God. And uh, it's, it's a lament by Habakkuk and then a response from God and then another lament by Habakkuk and then a response from God. And then Habakkuk uh, breaks out into prayer. But in the, in the first lament, he's, he's lamenting to God over Israel's wickedness and sin, how they have forsaken God. They're, they're sacrificing their children to Moloch. They're, they're worshiping Baal. Um, they are godless to the core. They're idol worshipers. They're, they're sacrificing and murdering their own children. And so he is lamenting to God over Israel's sin. And God responds. And God's response actually leads to Habakkuk lamenting all the more because God tells him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy Israel by a more wicked people. 
And, and Habakkuk goes, I don't think that was my plan when I was lamenting to you, God. Um, he doesn't understand. He, he doesn't understand why God would use a more wicked nation to judge a wicked nation. And of course, God then responds again and basically says to him, that nation will be judged as well. And the whole thing is Habakkuk coming to the conclusion that though he cannot understand God's ways, God is faithful and he can trust him. And so in his prayer at the end of the book, in verses 17 to 18, this is how he prays, or the, the last few words of his prayer. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That is, basically death and destruction and famine have taken place. Though all of this happened, he then says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He is actively pursuing joy in God despite his circumstances. And what is the object of his joy? Well, it's, it's God. It's not his circumstances. It's God himself. It's the God who oversees his circumstances. 2020 has been a difficult year, as we know. And for some of us, even in our own church family, it's been far more painful than just what all of us have experienced with COVID. And there's a place for sorrow and grief. There is a place for lament. But we must also seek to pursue our joy in God as God pursues our joy as well. And pondering and meditating on the coming of Christ at Christmas can be a means by which we pursue our joy in God. Which leads to my final point. Advent reminds us where our joy should, should supremely reside. Now this is similar to point three, but a little different. Point three is a call to actively pursue our joy in God and his salvation. But point four tells us our joy in God and his salvation should be our supreme joy. There's a lot of good things that bring us joy. And God as a loving father graciously bestows those blessings on us for us to enjoy and for us to be glad. 2020 has been for me, um, one of the most joyous years, but also one of the most sad years. In 2020, God granted me a little girl, but also in 2020, I've had to deal with COVID and this pandemic and trying to lead us through this. It's been both sorrowful and yet full of joy. God delights to bring blessings into our lives so that we might be glad. But God and his salvation should be our supreme joy. The Son of God, clothing himself in humanity, being born of the Virgin Mary, living a sinless life, dying for sinful man, descending to the place of the dead, rising to new life, ascending to the Father's right hand as our victorious King should be our greatest joy and delight. This should produce in us a gladness that nothing in this world could ever truly produce. You know, it's interesting, in Luke chapter 10, um, you have Jesus setting out the 72 to do ministry. 
And uh, they come back in chapter, in verse 17 to report to Jesus all that's happened. And we're told this, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't, don't be so focused on the power that you have. Don't rejoice in the fact that you have this power that I've entrusted to you. Rejoice in the fact that you are known by my Father in heaven. That should be our supreme joy. So brothers and sisters, as we enter into the week, this week of Christmas, may God fill you with joy as you pursue joy in the one who is worthy of your joy and delight, the one who was born on Christmas morning.